Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. Today we're going to be in Joshua chapter 10, verses 29 to 43, learning from life's battles. I always say as you read the Bible, keep an eye on current events and connect the dots. What a week it's been. We saw prophetic history fulfilled this week. You'll never forget this week. President Trump recognized Jerusalem as Israel's capital, and we're going to move our embassy there soon. You may, now, you may or may not like President Trump, but there's one thing we have to realize, that God is using this guy. Uh, with his Supreme Court pick to help protect the lives of unborn babies, it has already had a huge impact. Persecution. A lot of people aren't aware of this because the media didn't talk about this, but much of the, we give a lot of money to the UN to help those who are oppressed because of their faith. We call it persecution as Christians. But what we found out is that most of that money wasn't going to help those who are really being oppressed. It wasn't going to help the Christians in the Middle East being persecuted. And so President Trump and Vice President Pence pulled that funding, and now we give the money directly to those who are being persecuted. Huge impact, huge amounts of money. And now this, moving the embassy. Now notice I didn't say he moved the capital. Jerusalem is already Israel's capital. It's always been their capital. He just recognized the reality of that. And I've heard many say, but it's going to make the Muslim world mad. Listen, they're already very mad way before this. This is just exposing the hate that many Muslims, notice I didn't say all Muslims, but unfortunately the majority of Muslims, many Muslims have toward the Jews. And not only Muslims, but much of the world holds toward Israel. Even many people in the United States uh, hold animosity toward the Jews and toward Israel. Even many so-called Christians are upset about this move. They're saying we shouldn't have done this, this isn't fair, blah, blah, blah. This is separating the sheep from the goats. You watch the religious leaders that are attacking this move. God is separating the sheep from the goats. Don't be deceived by the world's lies. Don't be deceived. God has promised Israel and Jerusalem to his chosen people. But what about the Palestinians? Peaceful Palestinians are welcome to live in Israel and in Jerusalem. 20% of Israel's population is Arab. Another 5% is other non-Israelis. It's not a problem if they're peaceful. But the key, no matter what, the key to remember is that God has given the promised land to Israel. A much larger territory that they hold today. If you look at what he promised in his word in the Bible, it's much larger. They have more coming to them. And even though they, the land was taken away from them because of their disobedience and unfaithfulness, God promised them to bring them back again, and he did. He, Israel becoming a nation again after thousands of years was promised by God. And not only that, Jesus will be coming back to Jerusalem. So if you call yourself a Christian, don't oppose God's plan. If you oppose Israel and, and having Israel, uh, I'm sorry, Israel having Jerusalem, you will be opposing God's plan. The temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem. That's likely the next prophetic step leading to the second coming of Jesus Christ. We also know that Russia and a Muslim coalition will attack Israel. Study the book of Ezekiel. They're going to attack Israel, but somehow, supernaturally, they'll be saved. And then the Antichrist will make a peace treaty, a peace treaty of seven years with Israel. And the Jews will think he's great. They're going to love him at first, but then he will turn on them and demand to be worshipped in the new temple. 
and he will try to exterminate the Jews because they will stand up against the, him finally. But listen to what Zechariah 14, 2-5 says, talking about getting ready for the second coming here. Look what it says here in, in Zechariah. And if you've missed the Daniel Revelation study we did some years back, you can still get the tapes. <laughs> we don't have CDs at, or podcasts and those. Those were back when we had tapes. But uh, it was years ago. But it's, it, it means even more today than it did then. But listen to Zechariah 14, verse 2. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountains moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azal. But... You, you will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. It's going to be hot for Israel, but Jesus is going to come and deliver them. And he's going to come to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. This battle for the promised land is not new. It's been going on since the book of Joshua. And it's still going on today. For us too. Because these physical battles, we are not Israel, but we are, these physical battles are a picture of our spiritual battles. Our spiritual battles. We are fighting a spiritual battle as Christians. Hence the title, Learning from Life's Battles, Joshua 10, 29-43. Let me pray. Father, we just pray that your spirit would speak to us through your word. And Lord, we pray that we would not, we would have a biblical worldview, not a world's worldview that we wouldn't be deceived by the world, that we would see things biblically and be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Joshua 10, and I will pick it up, verse 29. Then Joshua and all Israel with him moved on from Makeda to Libna and attacked it. The Lord also gave that city and its kings into Israel's hand. The city and everyone in it Joshua put to the sword. He left no survivors there, and he did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and all Israel with him moved on from Libna to Lachish. He took up positions against it and attacked it. The Lord handed Lachish over to Israel, and Joshua took it on the second day. The city and everyone in it he put to the sword just as he had done to Libna. Meanwhile, Horam king of Gezer had come up to help Lachish, but Joshua defeated him and his army until no survivors were left. Then Joshua and all Israel with him moved on from Lachish to Eglon. They took up positions against it and attacked it. They captured it that same day and put it to the sword and totally destroyed everyone in it just as they had done to Lachish. Then Joshua and all Israel with him went up from Eglon to Hebron and attacked it. They took the city and put it to the sword together with its kings, its villages, and everyone in it. They left no survivors just as at Eglon. They totally destroyed it and everyone in it. Then Joshua and all Israel with him turned around and attacked Debir. They took the city, its king, and its villages and put it to the sword. Everyone in it they totally destroyed. They left no survivors. They did to Debir as, and its king as they had done to Libna and its king and to Hebron. So Joshua subdued the whole region, including the hill country, the Negev, the western foothills, and the mountain slopes, together with all their kings. He left no survivors. He totally destroyed all who breathed, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had commanded. 
Joshua subdued them from Kadesh Barnea to Gaza and from the whole region of Goshen to Gibeon. All the kings and their lands Joshua conquered in one campaign because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. So we see here he totally destroyed the Canaanites here. Remember, and now remember, this is God's judgment. If you think this is this is an Old Testament thing, well, wait till you read the book of Revelation when jo the ultimate Joshua, Jesus, comes back to the earth to judge the inhabitants of the earth in the book of Revelation. This is God's judgment. He's using the the Israelites to judge the Canaanites because of their great sin. Remember, the cup was full. The Amorites' cup was full had reached its full measure, just as when Israel sinned and turned against God, God sent the Assyrians and the Babylonians to attack them and to exact judgment on them. Although the difference was he left a remnant each time, a small remnant each time, that because he was going to bring them back to his promised land someday. So this is God's judgment. And also, they are a type of sin for us. Remember, we're not killing people, fighting anybody. We don't have that call today as Christians. No, but we're called to kill sin and to be exterminate sin and fight against it. These are a picture of sin and strongholds in our life. And we have to be brutal with sin in our life. Very, very important. We've talked about this a lot. So, a couple of lessons. Lesson number one, verse 32. Lachish. In verse 32, the Lord handed Lachish over to Israel and Joshua took it on the second day. All the other cities he took in one day. A single attack, but Lachish took two days. And we know that historically it's a very strong city to take. Second Kings and Second Kings Sennacherib and the Assyrians couldn't take it at all. And Nebuchadnezzar, when he came down, used, judging Israel through God's uh, call, when he came down, it was the last city he took. The last city he took. Now there's a reason why the Holy Spirit records it took two days. Because this is a picture of our battle with sin and strongholds. Some sins are stronger than others. Some are conquered at salvation. You remember that when you put your faith in Jesus? Others are a lifelong battle of sanctification. But Joshua didn't panic. He didn't get discouraged. He didn't quit. He attacked it again. He persevered and the Holy Spirit recorded this for a reason. The Holy Spirit recorded this because that's what we need to do. This is our battle story. What's our Lakish? How do we need to persevere in grace? Maybe you're defeated today. You've been knocked down spiritually. You're coming defeated today. Get back up and fight by God's mercy and grace. The second lesson, the one we're going to camp out on and finish up with today, is in verse 43, Gilgal. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. We see here in the book of Joshua that he often returns to Gilgal to refocus, to recharge. Why Gilgal? It's where, Gilgal is where they stopped right after crossing the Jordan. Remember the miraculous crossing? The, the Jordan River opened up at flood stage. They walked through on dry ground. And then just after that, they moved on to attack Jericho, the first stronghold city. But what happened there? What happened at Gilgal after the crossing and before they attacked Jericho? What happened? Circumcision. Remember that? Circumcision. It's a picture of holiness. Circumcision is a picture of holiness. Cutting away sin and cutting away the flesh. It's a picture. And so Gilgal is a place of holiness. It's easy after a spiritual victory to get lazy, 
to get lax, to let down our guard, to indulge the flesh. But we need to be reminded what led to our victory. Holiness, getting rid of the baggage, why it's so important to return to Gilgal, for every one of us to return to Gilgal. Circumcision was also, and Gilgal is also a place of weakness. You remember how we talked about after they were circumcised, they were completely dependent on God's protection because they could have marched, the enemy could have marched out of Jericho at any time, just wiped them out. They were completely immobilized. But it's a, it's a place of weakness, a place of total dependence. And it's the same for us how we have to be completely dependent on God's grace. And it's important to remember after a victory that it's all God, that it's not us. We have to be on our guard against pride. And I want to say many times, you're going on a mission trip. Be careful. Coming back from a retreat, be careful. After a spiritual high or after spiritual victories, that's when we're most vulnerable to pride. That's when we have to be most dependent on God's grace. And that's why they came back to Gilgal. That's why we need to go back to Gilgal. Gilgal was also a special place of worship and fellowship with God. It, it was here that they first celebrated the Passover after wandering in the desert for 40 years. Remember that? They hadn't celebrated the Passover 40 years in the desert. Why? Because it was a godless generation. That's why God had that generation die off in the desert. And the new generation now has emerged into the promised land. And they celebrated Passover for the first time here at Gilgal, right after the circumcision. And that's a picture for us that we have to celebrate our Passover. We know that our Passover is communion. Jesus fulfilled the Passover. He was a Passover lamb, his body, his blood. And that's what we celebrate at communion. And our close communion with Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb, is vital for further success. Do we have a Gilgal? Do you have a Gilgal, a time and a place of personal worship where we meet with God in prayer? It could be anywhere. It could be any time. It could be in the car. That's your only time of sanity. It could be anywhere. I know for me, it's early in the morning. I have to get up early in the morning before anybody else gets up. That's my time with God. A regular time of communion, a time of confession and holiness, a time of God depending on God's mercy and grace. And no matter what we are battling, if we retreat to Gilgal, we can go out and face it by grace. Just like they had to come back to Gilgal to go back to the battles they had to face. If we have a place, a Gilgal, no matter what we're facing, we can go out and face it by grace. The days I start with time with Jesus, I end a lot better than the days that I don't. Why? Because of grace. Chuck Swindoll has a saying I, I saw recently it says life is 10% of what happens to us and 90% of how we react to it isn't that true and it all comes down to depending on God's grace Gilgal holiness dependence communion and it was also here at Gilgal that the tabernacle was set up until being moved to Shiloh in Joshua 18 which we'll get to soon <laughs> Another year or two. But anyway, we won't go there. But they, in Joshua 18, we see that the land is divided. And at that time, the ark and the tabernacle is moved to Shiloh. And, but at this point, it's in Gilgal, Gilgal. And Gilgal is a place of worship. The tabernacle and the ark are there, which are a picture of the work of Jesus Christ. It's the mercy seat. And the sprinkled blood, a picture of the Jesus' sacrifice on the cross when he died for our sin. Just as the lamb and the blood 
paid for the sin of the people at that time when they placed their hand on it. They put their faith in God's forgiveness. The ultimate lamb has now come and died on that cross. And we put our faith to forgive us because he gave his blood in our place. He was our substitute. And we need to come back to Gilgal. We need to constantly be reminded of what Jesus Christ has done for us. That's why I end each sermon with the gospel. In John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loved us so much that he gave his only son. That's why Jesus was born at Christmas. So that he could die on a cross for us in our place. And what brought him here was God's love for God so loved the world. And, it, and it, that's why I, I end because it's a reminder of God's love. Not just for those who don't know his love and are coming to Christ. But also for us who are Christians. It's a reminder of God's love for us which is vital to know and to grow in and to dwell on. That's why in Ephesians 3, 16 and 19, where it says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It's vital for us as Christians to know God's love and to grow in His love and to live in that love and to let that love flow through us. But it's vital here, it says, to read God's Word and study and internalize His Word to fully know His love and the full implications for our life. That makes all the difference in our lives as Christians. It makes all the difference. Understanding and experiencing God's love is the key in any battle we face. It's transforming. It's powerful. I was watching a documentary this week. It's also a book. It's called An Unreal Dream, The Michael Morton Story. Michael Morton in 1987 was put in prison for killing his wife. Only he didn't. He spent 25 years in prison for killing his wife, but he didn't kill her. What an unbelievable story. He lost everything. He even had a little boy who thought he killed it, killed his his mom. And, and finally, the little boy was coming to prison to visit him. Then he became a teenager, and he finally rejected him. He said, I'm not going to come visit anymore. And, I'm, and not only that, I'm not going to take, I'm going to reject your name. I'm going to take my aunt's name. The aunt was raising him, the, the wife's sister. Uh, the wife who was murdered, her sister was raising him, and she thought he killed him too, and you know, said all this bad stuff about him. He said, he, he, I'm rejecting your name. And finally that broke him. In prison for, I think it was like year 15 or something of his, his imprisonment. That broke him. And, and he cried out to God for the first time. He had gone to church when he was a kid, but rejected the Christian faith. But he, he re cried out to God in that prison cell. For the first time he was broken. Nothing happened. He said nothing happened. A few days later, I think it was like 10 days later, he's in a dark cell. Everybody else is sleeping. He's in his dark cell, just laying there, getting ready to fall asleep. And God touched him in an amazing way. A supernatural way. 
He was flooded. The jail cell was flooded by God's love. It's wild, wild. His life was transformed as he went to the Word and studied the Word. You have to read the book and read his whole story. The documentary doesn't bring out all these details, but it's what happened. His life was transformed. And as he, and he, he funneled the love of Jesus Christ to all around him as he, as he grew closer to Jesus through his Word and understood his love fully. The guy had unbelievable peace. He had just this incredible peace. And he could face even this unjust imprisonment. Before he was set free, after 25 years, he had to go through this, but he had this amazing peace. He was already free. Before they set him free, after 25 years, he was already free. How? He was freed by the love of Jesus Christ. And that's what the love of Christ can do for every one of us. Have you been set free by the love of Jesus Christ? Have you been set free? By John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you ever given your life to Him? Have you ever turned away from the sin and put your faith in Jesus? Christmas is a time of gifts. We're all going to be getting a lot of gifts soon. Here. Well, if we're good. <laughs> I'm kidding. But anyway, uh, a lot of gifts. But... We receive the greatest gift, not because we've been good, not because we've earned it and done something good. We receive the greatest gift by faith. And we need to receive it by faith because we can't be good enough. We can only receive this gift by faith, this gift of forgiveness, this gift of a brand new life by faith. Have you received that gift? Maybe you have and you're a Christian, but are we growing in God's love? God's love saves us, John 3, 16. But are we growing in God's love? Are we living in that love? Are we letting it flow through us to others, just like Michael Morton in prison? That the prison was transformed. Many lives were touched. He made friends out of all these murderers, and, and, their heart, and they were in the documentary. Wait till you watch. It's very touching. But it was the love of Christ flowing through us. Are we letting God's love flow through us to others? It starts at Gilgal. We need a place of holiness, a place of dependence, and a place of communion. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, are you growing in God's love? At this Christmas season, but not just now, but all, the, all year long, will we let the love of Christ flow through us? Are we growing in God's love? Living in that love? Letting it flow through us? Do we have a Gilgal? A place of holiness, dependence, and communion with Jesus Christ? If we have that, it doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter if we're in prison. Wait till you watch the documentary, the Michael Morton story. An unreal dream. He's in prison and he has complete peace, more peace than anybody I know outside of prison. It was amazing because he knew God's love and he lived in that love, the power of that love. Do you have that? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you ever received God's love gift? 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Do you have that life? You can have it right now by holding out your hands as a beggar and say, God, I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve your forgiveness. But I want to receive it as a gift. I put my faith in your son Jesus. I give my life to him. I don't want that old life anymore. I turn away from all that garbage and sin. I'm going to follow Jesus. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, you have just received an amazing gift of forgiveness, of God's love, of a new life in Jesus Christ. And before this day is up, I want you and strongly encourage you to tell somebody. Text me, email me, call me if you need to, but tell somebody, family, friend, anybody. Tell somebody so we can be excited for you and help you grow in Christ. Father, I pray every one of us this Christmas season would know your love, would receive your love, and we would give that love away. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.